Just a little bit of backdrop of what uh, Brother Penns read with us momentarily uh, just a few moments ago. Apostle Paul has been on house, or not house arrest, but has been in the castle in Caesarea of the king. And uh, Festus kept him there for two years, and he stayed there. That was not as a terrible of a time as he would have in time to come, or as he had in years gone by. He had an opportunity to see and receive friends back and forth. He probably ate fairly well. But he was, const- he was constrained. He couldn't leave. He was not a free man. He would be uh, incarcerated there. Couldn't go, but people could come see him. He would oftentimes be called in by Felix, the, the, the governor at the time, to talk more about the Christ and crucifixion. One time he talked to him, he shook so bad. He was so trembled and such under conviction. He said, look, you got to go. I can't take it. Uh, he goes, come back another time when it's more convenient. But it looks like Felix never truly came to know Christ. He got in trouble with the Roman government and Caesar and was called to go back to Rome. And another fellow named Festus came in. Festus was far less, more, less interested in Apostle Paul's message or his person. But uh, he did try to get on good with the Jews that had prosecuted him. And they had been staying very strong at their insistence that he die. They wanted him to be dead, and they got a hold of the new governor and said, listen, bring him down to Jerusalem. We'll try him there, all in purpose to extinguish his life. But you know, the Christian is safe in the will of God. He has got divine, divine perpetuity until the Lord's job is done for him. And when you and I have fear in our hearts toward what's going to happen to us, we shouldn't have that fear. God says he did not give us that spirit of fear, but a power to do what we need to do, to love as we should love, and to think uh, soberly and, and soundly about what our responsibilities are. Well, Festus came in, and Festus had him himself. He thought he kind of had the tiger by the tail, and he found out that he had a problem on his hand. He had, a, he had a legal problem. He had a local problem with the Jews, and he had a logical problem because he had pushed the apostle Paul and made fun of him to to extent. Said, hey, you want to send you? I'll send you down to Jerusalem. How about that? And because Paul was a Roman citizen, and he had his papers, he said, I appeal to Caesar. And that was not, that, that stunned Felix. Felix now had himself a big problem. He thought he was being a smart aleck, and he thought he was going to push this little, little uh, Jewish um, heretic, according to the people that, that uh, hated him. But actually, it turned the tables real quickly. So now, now Festus has, an, he has a visit from King Agrippa. Agrippa is Jewish. He is with Bernice, who is his sister. Uh, they have the same father, but uh, there is some bad stuff going on. He's immoral. He's a perverted man, but he's a king. And his job primarily is to keep peace in Jerusalem, literally, with the Jewish people. And he understands them. He understands what they've heard. He knows about the Sanhedrin. He knows about the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And he comes into town and Festus says, man, I got a problem. I've got this guy that was left over from my predecessor, Felix, and I brought up the, uh, the guys from Jerusalem, and they want him to die. I, and uh, so I was kind of pushing him a little bit, said, hey, I'll just maybe send you back to Jerusalem. Instead, he appealed to Caesar. To a Roman leader at that time, you weren't going to send a flimsy excuse up to Caesar and take up his time because he was going to come back and discipline you. He said, man, I got a, I got a real problem here. 
I got a local problem because this guy is really hated by the people there in Jerusalem for nothing more than he believed that Jesus was the Christ. He believed that Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose again. He he was God in the flesh, and he could save the sins of the world. And he'd spend his entire lifetime, after he came to know Christ, telling people just that. And uh, Felix, or excuse me, Festus told Agrippa, he said, you know, I'm glad you're visiting me and everything, but maybe I need some help. I've got a legal problem, and I've got a logical problem. I'm getting ready to send this guy. He's appealed to Caesar. He just stunned me with that. And I've got to tell him a reason why I'm sending him and taking up his time with this guy, and I don't have good information. And Agrippa had no doubt heard of Christianity. He was very familiar with Christianity. It's not a new thing. It's about 22 years old since Jesus uh, passed away and left his disciples. So for two decades, it had been flourishing all around the world, and he was not ignorant of that. He wasn't a believer. And whether he says, and later on in the chapter, in, in jest or in joking or in sincerity, he said, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. He said, you have provided information that stimulates me. I may be sure, or he may have been joking around with the Apostle Paul. I don't know. And folks have argued that, and it's not important. But this guy said, hey, I'll hear him. And so Festus had a kind of a big gathering. He invited, he invited with great pomp and circumstance King Agrippa to come and, and Bernice, uh, his, uh, his, his uh, cohort, and to be there. And then he invited six of the, the men who oversaw a thousand soldiers apiece. And, and then six other men who were in charge, or five different people who were, in, who were like city council members there in that area of Caesarea. And then many chamberlains and different people were there and police officers and, and uh, people were all around whenever he came in. And now they bring Paul up. And Agrippa has been given the floor by Festus. And Festus, once again, Festus is um, definitely not interested. Matter of fact, he'll, he'll interrupt Paul in his presentation of the gospel and say, Paul, you're a nut. Much learning hath made you a, you're crazy. But Agrippa would not have the same opinion. Agrippa was being dealt with. And over today, this morning, and tonight at 6 o'clock, we'll study this. Let's look at verse number 1. Can we please together? The Bible says, Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Thou art permitted to speak for thyself. And then Paul stretched forth his hand and answered for himself. So it was time now. Fast forward, all the pomp and circumstances and all the things are there. Now you have Festus on a throne. You have, looks like you have Agrippa and Bernice. They're all there. And now they bring Paul center stage. And they said, and the king says, you're, I'll give you time to speak. He lifted his hand and he says, I think myself happy. <laughs> he goes, I'm very glad to be a part of a, of, a, of a situation where I can explain my side of the story to you, King Agrippa. He's going to do a personal dialogue. If you look at the passage, you'll see that he stays engaged with the king. His eyesight was not very good according to historical measures, and we think that's the case. But I can't imagine he tried to find out where he was and look him eye to eye. Agrippa was his audience, his, his number one focus, but the whole audience was in his mind. He wanted everybody around. By the way, when you're witnessing to people, keep in mind there are some people around you that might be listening as well. A few times in my joy of being able to share the gospel with people, someone has come out and said, 
can I do that too? <laughs> when it comes time to get saved, they'll say, I've been listening. Can you make me understand that as well? I want to join you in that situation. No doubt Paul, his focus was on Agrippa, but his mind was on the rest of the people. And thank God for his testimony. Let's look if we can, please, at verse number two. I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because I shall answer for myself this day before thee, touching all the things whereof I am accused of the Jews. He goes, I am very glad to, to, to address my accusations and my accusers. Especially because I know thee, I know thee, King Agrippa, to be an expert, someone who has knowledge in all customs and questions which are among the Jews. Wherefore, I beseech thee to hear me patiently. He goes, I'm really glad I can talk to you. I'm glad I can address what has been accused of me because I know that you, Agrippa, you're not ignorant. You're an expert of how we think and what is going on in, in this realm. And I'm glad I can talk to you and you can, you're not someone who is like Festus. Festus had no clue. He'd come in from Rome, and he didn't have any idea what was going on. But Agrippa was in a different story, in different category. Let's look at the next verse. The Bible says, he begins to go into his manner of life. He said, now my manner of life, or the way I lived from my youth, which was the first among mine own nation. At Jerusalem, know all the Jews. He said, how I was raised and how I was brought up, it's not a secret to anyone who lived in Jerusalem. I was raised there after he was 13 years old. He came there to be trained under Gamaliel, who was a world-famous Jewish teacher. He was born in Tarsha, a Greek city. That's where he got his, his citizenship. He was born into the, into the Roman, Roman world in a Gentile city, but he was Jew through and through. When he was 12, 13 years old, he moved, his mom and dad or his family moved there. He had a sister that lived in Jerusalem. So their family probably moved there, relocated, and enrolled him in the school. He said, everybody that's been in Jerusalem for any period of time knows my background, my manner of life. Look at the next part the Bible says in verse number 5. Which knew me from the beginning, if they would testify, if they were here, and after the most strictest or the most straightest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. If you look over in the book of Philippians, you'll see he goes through his, he says, I'm in the tribe of, I'm in the tribe of Benjamin, I, I'm a Pharisee of Pharisee. He begins to tell all his credentials of who he is. He said, I was very strict. I was with Nicodemus. I would have been on the, on the, I would have been the guy that was saying, Lord, I'm thankful that I am not like this guy over here. He would be a Pharisee that would go to the temple and he would pray for hours, but not necessarily to, to try to impress God, but to impress others. He goes, I was as strict as I could be. I fasted. I went to church every day. I memorized the Old Testament and especially the Pentateuch, Genesis through Deuteronomy. Because I was the strictest and the, and the most committed to my sect of a religion that anybody could have been. That's what he told the king. Let's look, if we can, please, at verse number 6. He says, And now I, I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made of God unto our fathers, unto which promise our twelve tribes, instantly serving God day and night, hope to come. And for which hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused of, of the Jews. Now he says, and by the way, his, his, whole, his whole statement can be summed up in his countrymen, uh, in his conversion, and then in his cause. If you look at everything he says, he, he, he addresses his people, the Jewish people, which he's one of them. 
and his background, his countrymen. Then he's going to talk about what God did to change him, his conversion. And then he's going to talk about what his cause is. Why is he kept on going? What is he doing? And to Festus, it's all new to, to Agrippa, he's figuring some things out. He's familiar with the, with the way it works. He knew about the countrymen. He was one of them himself. He was Jewish himself. We find that he says, the reason I'm in court today is because I believe in the promise that God gave our fathers years ago. And that promise was, is that he would send a Messiah. He would send a kinsman redeemer. He would send someone innocent to pay for the guilty. Matter of fact, whenever you see the fall of man in Genesis chapter 3, Whenever Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden and whenever Eve brought to that, uh, that fruit to Adam and he also partake, instantly guilt and shame and embarrassment. They went to hide themselves from God and he would come visit them every night and visit with them in the cool of the day. And usually they were out ready for him and looking forward to the walk. Now they're hiding from him because guilt and sin and nakedness and embarrassment had overtaken them. The Bible tells us that one of the curses that each of them received, uh, the, the snake or the serpent or Satan got cursed. He said, on your ground, you're going to go. The rest, you're going to eat dirt. You're going to be despised. And one day, the seed of a woman is going to bruise your little head. And there, ever since that time, every Jewish lady especially felt like they might be, when they got impregnated, they thought they might, they wanted to be, excuse me, before they were impregnated, they wanted to be the carrier of the Messiah because they knew it would be the seed of a woman. Jesus had to be virgin born. One of the reasons I love the King James Version of the Bible, that all my verses are there. In other versions of the Bible, they, they lift verses. In the King James Bible, it says a virgin would conceive. Some of the other versions say a young woman would conceive. Says, is there something big about the virgin birth? Very big about the virgin birth. It's very big that Jesus did not have a human father. Because the Bible tells us by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. The reason you and I sin is twofold. Number one is because it's our nature. We all have something in common, regardless of the pigment of our skin, regardless of, our, of how we were, grew up or our background. All of us have a human father. And all of us have not been taught how to sin. We know how to do it naturally. But Jesus did not have a human father. Because if he had a human father, he'd have been a sinner just like me and just like you. And if I died on the cross, I wouldn't pay for your sin or mine. If you died on the cross, you wouldn't pay for anybody's sin either. Because you're a guilty sinner just like I am. We'd be in the same boat with Jesus if he had a human father. And he says, you know, the promise was the promise that someone innocent is going to die for me, the guilty. And everybody in my in the Jewish history knows that they're waiting for that. I think Eve thought whenever she had Cain, she thought, oh, Cain, God's given me a man child. Maybe she maybe Cain was that person. But it was not her. It was Mary. It'd be four thousand years later that Mary would conceive and bear a son not of Joseph, but of God the Father and the Holy Spirit planting that seed. The innocent Jesus dying for us, the guilty. And he told that king, he said, King, the big deal here is what I believe about Jesus Christ. And Paul was not only committed to a cause, he was committed to Christ. 
And Christ gave him that cause to please the Lord. He said, here's what, here's what the, big, the big deal is. I believe that the Messiah has come and has died and paid for our sin. And yes, it's 22, 25 years in the rearview mirror, but I believe it happened, and I am still believing it happened, and that's why I'm here today, is because the promise that I believe already came. How many believe that promise has already come as well? Aren't you glad for that? And boy, if, you, if you're here today, you've not yet accepted Jesus as your Savior. You've not exchanged your sin for God's Son. That's something you need to do today. Well, he tells him, this is the thing that I do. And I also believe something else. I believe he didn't just die and was buried, but he rose again. Would you look at the next thing the Bible tells us in this passage of Scripture? In verse number 8, he says, Why should it be thought a thing incredible with you that God should raise the dead? He said, Agrippa, do you think it's that hard that God raised the dead? I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name uh, of Jesus of Nazareth. I want you to say this. You know, he was a Pharisee. So Pharisees, apart from the Sadducees, believed in the resurrection. He said, I don't only, only believe that the Messiah, the promise has come, but I believe he died, he was buried, and he rose again. And I believe I'm going to be resurrected one day to be with him. How many would say, I believe with the Apostle Paul, what he just said there? I'm glad I believe in the resurrection of Christ. You know, when you think about the greatness of God, you think about, uh, if, they, if I understand correctly, and if Dr. Callan were here, he could tell us many more statistics. Just reading a little bit, they say there's 10 trillion cells in the human body. 10 trillion cells that make up you and me. In the, in the, in the galaxies... There's, a, there's over 10 billion stars in the Milky Way galaxy. And then there's hundreds of millions of galaxies just like it. How many of you have ever gone out to a, a dark night and maybe you can't do it in Hammond, there's too much light, too much ground light. But been out in a dark place where you can look up in the skies on a clear night and see all those stars. You think, that is unbelievable. And you're only seeing a microcosm of all that God made. If he can make that, if he can allow your ears to hear what I'm saying and my voice to articulate words and our eyes to see what we see with these, these things, the miraculous way in which a body can heal itself and all the things, the reproductive system, all the things that come into a human body, if God can make this, can he not bring someone back to life? He said, you know, the reason I'm here is because I believe that Jesus is the Christ, and I believe that he rose again so that we could have eternal life. Then he said, he said, however, that wasn't always the case. Look what you said, if you would please, in verse number, back to back, if we can please. Verse number nine, the first three words, or first five words, will you read them with me real quickly? I verily thought, verily means I truly believe this. I truly thought this with myself. That that's not true. Now he's going to change his story from his countrymen to his conversion. He says, look, there was a time when I didn't believe that. He said, I barely, I truly thought within myself that he was not the Messiah. He was Jesus of Nazareth. And I did everything I could to be against him. How many remember whenever you weren't saved? When you were alienated from God. You didn't have eternal life. Maybe some of you are that way today. You're not a bad person as bad person or compared to other people, but you're lost. You've not yet have forgiveness of sins. You don't have Christ as your Savior. 
He said, that's where I was. I truly thought that, uh, that he was just another man. Look, if you would please, as he continues to talk about this, he, I, I did many things contrary. I, I not only didn't believe him, I, I tried to contradict him. I was against him. Verse number 10, which things I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priest, which uh, they were put to, that when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. I voted that many people be executed. It wasn't just Stephen, it was many others. He was the fair-haired boy of the uh, of the chief of the the chief of the Jews and the chief priest and the Sanhedrin. He was a younger man, but he had been given lots of he had energy, he had an angst, he had an anger against Christ and Christians. He would pull them out of their homes. He would arrest men and women away from their children. He would leave them destitute. He would get men fired from their jobs. He would get them arrested, and if he could, he'd get them exterminated. He'd get them killed and executed. He said, many times I turned that black stone. They say there's a white stone and a black stone, depending upon guilty of death or not. And uh, oftentimes the people in, in, in charge of those situations, if they brought out the black stone, the guy could die. He said, I, I gave my voice many times to see a Christian die. Stephen is recorded in, Act, in Acts chapter 7. So he begins to tell a story. Let's continue if we can, please. Just a couple verses and we'll continue this evening. Verse number 11, read it with me out loud, would you please? And I punished them often in every synagogue, and being exceedingly mad against them. Because I went out of my comfort zone to find a way. I was, I was, I was uh, anger on steroids, exceedingly angry with them. I wanted to kill them where I, whoever I could find them, whoever they were, and I would go out of my comfort zone even to go to cities I've never been to. I didn't even know. To get a hold of another Christian, I was extremely angry with them, extremely mad against them, making his way. If you could imagine this courtroom that day, and our time is going to come to a close this morning, but the Apostle Paul stands before King Agrippa, and he says, here's my story. First of all, you need to know I love the Jewish people and included Agrippa and Bernice. He said, I love the Jewish people. They're my country people. They know me. I was raised like them. I get them. I understand them. And by the way, one of the most important things that you and I can learn is how God wants to use our testimony. Some of you, you were a drunk. Alcohol was your issue. Some of you, you were on drugs. Some of you, you were addicted to pornography. Some of you, you were molested as children, and God brought you out and gave you a, 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 a healing there. Whatever you have in your background, some of you drove a truck, and you drive a truck. You're much more apt to help truck drivers and identify with them. Some of you, you're immigrants into our country. You speak a couple languages. Or you, you know things we don't know. You, when you see another uh, Nigerian... When you see another Indian, when you see another Spanish man or woman from Central or South America, you remember what it was like. And the Apostle Paul learned to identify with his past and use it as a platform to help somebody else. Some of you were raised by a single mom. You came out of a divorced home. You were abused as a child physically or, or other ways and difficult things happened. You know what it's like to be raised poor. You know what it's like to go through handicaps and challenges and difficulties. 
And many times we'll spend our life all negative about those things rather than realize God has a purpose in each of those situations. And that day, no doubt, there were many people in that room as the Apostle Paul began to look and zero in on Agrippa and said, Agrippa, this is my countrymen. I get this and I understand them. But here's my story. Here's what I used to be. And now he's going to tell us tonight what, he, what happened. Here's how things all changed. And they all changed when they met one person, Jesus Christ. Now, everything can change if you'll make life about Jesus. Some of us, we're very glad to have him as our Savior, but he is not at any way steering our ship. We're glad to have our sins forgiven, but he is not on the radar of our mind. He's not in our marriage. He's not in our relationship. He's not at work. Some of the, your friends at work wouldn't even know that you're a Christian. You don't talk about him. You maybe act just like the world acts. Your checkbook doesn't indicate you're a Christian. Your time management doesn't indicate you're Christian. You'll pick and choose if you want to go or do something for God or not. You're kind of incognito. But the Apostle Paul, everything changed for him. He went as the hugest, drastic change you could ever see at a human being because of one day meeting Jesus on the road to Damascus. How many remember when Jesus met you? Has he made a change in your life? Are you different? Some of you, you've been saved by him and you haven't even been baptized. You know you should, but you just keep putting off because you're embarrassed. You're afraid to get underwater for a few moments after he hung on a cross naked and bludgeoned and beaten for your sin. You want to use that as an excuse? Some of us, we don't bring our Bible to school or we won't bring our Bible to work. We won't talk about Christ. People don't even know. I never, never forget one of my, my good friends. He was saved and he was driving with his friend, and his friend said, Hey, man, I met a guy the other day. He said he knows for sure he's going to heaven. I wish I knew that. And my friend said, Well, I could show you that. He looked over and said, Troy, you're a Christian? You know that? And you haven't told me? I didn't know you were a Christian. You act just like I do. You could tell me you haven't told me? Boy, it broke his heart so much, he enrolled in a Christian camp to go to camp. He was after high school. Enrolled. The next week, he went to church, and they told him they were going to camp. He goes, I'm 20 years old. Can I go to camp? He went to camp, and God arrested his heart. He went off to Crown College, was used of God in a wonderful way. They have a soul winning day every year, Troy Holmes soul winning day, because that guy met Jesus in a real way. I wonder what would happen in our future if we met Jesus in a real way. If he, if he were a paramount in our heart and life, the Apostle Paul had him. Is he in your life? Is he in my life? Have we spoke about him? Have we typed his name even one time in text this week? Have we said it? Person of Jesus? Last night we had a deacon's meeting right over here, and one of the men said, in Colossians chapter 3, in verse number 4, when Christ, who is my life, shall appear. For most of us, Christ is our sideshow. He's a hobby that we dabble in every now and then. He's something we remember maybe on a Sunday morning or we sing victory in Jesus. But he's not a part of our, he's not our life. He's not something we think about. And if that's the way you are today, why don't you say, God, please have mercy upon me. Because people are watching and people are listening. You're the only Bible this world will ever, will ever read. You're the sinner's gospel. You're the scoffer's creed. You're the Lord's last message given in deed and word. 
What if his type is crooked? What if the print is all blurred? What if our feet are going places we should not and our lips are speaking words that are wrong? May God help us to be a good mirror of the Lord Jesus Christ. Make much of him. He'll make much of you. Let's pray together, can we?